We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall never surrender until in God's good time, the new world, with all its power and might, steps forth to the rescue and the liberation of people. In times of universal deceit, truth is the only rebellion left. On today's show, the history of American education. I'm going to review it with you, and I think you're going to find the lessons of history very surprising. Remember what George Santayana said, he who doesn't learn those lessons of history is doomed to repeat them? Well, today, we're going to discuss why we have education in our nation in the first place. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion. Welcome to today's Rebellion. Welcome to this morning's show. Today's topic is going to be the history of education in the United States and why we have education, why we have schools in our nation in the first place. What is the purpose of education? Why were our institutions founded? What was their goal? What was their mission? And why did we, as a culture, as a nation, as Americans, find education to be critical, to be a priority for our young nation when it was founded? And what did we charge these institutions to do? I think it's important that we go back and refresh our memory on the answers to all these questions because we're talking about education this week. I've chosen to make it kind of the singular topic of the rebellion over the course of the last three or four shows. And the reason I'm doing that, I've said over and over again, if we don't solve this problem, if we don't get education right, then I'm arguing that our culture is lost because you have no common ideas. You have no cult to hold the culture together. And again, I remind you when I say that, I'm not referring to a false religion. I'm referring to the root word of the word culture. Culture implies that you have a common bond, a common set of ideas, the cult, if you will. The group of ideas that holds your culture together gives you the identity that you embrace and celebrate as a common people. Every nation has this. Every community should have this. And if you don't have it, that vacuum will be filled by something else. And it's almost always filled by something negative rather than positive. Because the defining nature of a culture, those common ideas, that binding glue, is often positive. That's what patriotism is about. That's why I've said nationalism isn't a bad thing because a nationalist believes in his nation. He believes in those common ideas, that constitution, that declaration of independence, that bill of rights, those federalist papers, the Bible, the Judeo-Christian ethic. That's the common glue of our culture. That's the quote-unquote cult that holds us all together as a group of believers, if you will, believers who believe in America, in the positive things. We recognize there are negative things. No country is perfect. No individual is perfect. Human beings are prone to sin. This is the magic, if you will, of the biblical worldview. It admits that. 
it says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But the gift of God is eternal life. Life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness, eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, you don't have to buy in to that born-again message of the gospel to understand that there is value in having common ideas to hold you together. Otherwise, you have no justice because you cannot not have justice without a judge with a capital J. There has to be truth to judge the debate. Otherwise, culture disintegrates. You have chaos and something negative fills the vacuum. And it's always the rule of the gang or the tyranny of the one. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion. Let's take a break, and when I get back, I'm going to discuss the prodigal school and how we've left our birthright behind in the educational establishment in America. And we need to come home, apologize, ask for forgiveness, and reclaim that birthright. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion, and I will be right back in a couple minutes. Do you remember the story of the University of Missouri back in 2015. You should. This is the story of one of the first universities that had the Snowflake Rebellion. Um, it was the story where the Mizzou student body president said he saw someone dri drive through the campus in a red pickup hurling racial slurs. And at the same time, this man claimed that he witnessed the KKK somewhere on campus, and he felt his safety was threatened. Well, the problem with both of these reports at the University of Missouri was that neither of these incidents was ever confirmed. And in fact, the second was later retracted by this student, and he issued a public apology. So in other words, the student that made these claims was lying. But all of his retractions aside, and his apology aside, the reports brought protesters to the University of Missouri. You remember it. And they were chanting things like, no justice, no peace, white silence is violence. And Black Lives Matter was alive and well. It was just getting started back in 2015. And they held a group sit-in at the campus library for two days. And eventually, eventually, the demonstrators actually got the administration to bow. And they implemented, the administrators, mandatory diversity and inclusion training for all faculty and staff and students for the entire University of Missouri. And any students, any students who did not complete the training could not enroll in classes. And the training claimed to, this is a quote, create awareness of and address the conscious and unconscious discrimination, close quote, that existed between the students and the faculty and the staff at the University of Missouri. Now, keep in mind, this was 2015. Not yesterday, not 2021. 2015, this was six years ago. BLM, student protests, cancel culture, required diversity training, Talks of white silence is violence. All of this stuff isn't news that just sprung onto the scene yesterday. No, it's been around for a long time. And I'm just going back six years to, re to remind you that this stuff isn't old, excuse me, isn't new news 
And it's actually old news. Well, the fact that the administration at the University of Missouri implemented the diversity training wasn't enough to satisfy the protesters. And eventually the president and the provost at Mizzou lost their jobs. Do you remember that? They lost their jobs under pressure that they had not done enough to address the students' concerns. In other words, the students are now running the show. The administration and the faculty have lost control. The adults no longer in, are in charge of the daycare, if you will. The children now are. Now, these students, along with some foolish compliant faculty and some administration at the University of Missouri, helped destroy. This is my argument. They helped destroy. In fact, they didn't just help. They did destroy the very idea of a university. I've talked about this over and over again. It's a university and not a diversity for a reason. It's the unity of veritas, the unity of truth, the unity of virtues, not the diversity and the division and the divisiveness of vengeance and vice. It's called a university for a reason. But no, these students and these protesters, they actually succeeded in destroying the very idea of university an idea that was created in the Middle Ages that represented the united body of students and teachers pursuing the unity of truth. The University of Missouri and a lot of other universities around the country rejected the truth. And they rejected unity in favor of lies and division. This is a very sad tale, and it's a common tale. It's going on across the nation right now, not just at the college and university level, but at every level within education. When you keep hearing this rhetoric, this politically laden rhetoric, this politically correct rhetoric, excuse me, this PC rhetoric, this propaganda that says that we're going to start focusing on division rather than unity. When you keep doubling down on dividing people, balkanizing people, separating them, claiming that you're of this group because of the way you look, and you're of that group because of the way you look, and this group is better than that group, and this group has offended that group, and we're not going to be satisfied with anything until we have your head. When you hear that type of talk, that's not a university. That's not the dream of American education. It's kind of like the prodigal son in Jesus's parable. The university, the, the, the liberal arts academy has such a rich history. Its inheritance was liberty. That's why it was called liberal arts in the first place. It was an education to bring freedom and justice and liberty to the populace, to the population, to the people. It was an education in freedom. A free man, a free woman, a free culture, a free church. It was an education in liberty, a liberal arts institution. The classical definition of liberal was freedom. Liberty, liberal. And American higher education, as well as American education in general, from its inception during the Puritan era, until the mid-19th century, 
was established and operated within the context of a Christian ethos. Did you know that? That's irrefutable. If somebody wants to argue differently, they don't know their history. Thus, the point of this show. The guiding philosophy of education up until the beginning of the 1900s was to provide knowledge, to propagate knowledge, and to prepare an upright leadership within a Christian society. That was the point. That's why schools were established. The mission of the academy was not so much the advancement of scientific research, but rather the promotion of moral development and civic responsibility. Listen to that. That didn't change until the founding of Johns Hopkins. Johns Hopkins was the first institution that was founded with the express purpose of the dramatic model of education, and that was the scientific model. Prior to that time, Harvard, Dartmouth, Princeton, and Yale were all established to propagate, I am going to repeat this, to propagate knowledge and to prepare upright leadership within a Christian society. Moral development and civic responsibility. Professors during that era, up until the early 1900s, were supposed to be devoted teachers and role models. And courses in moral philosophy often served as the culmination of the college and the educational curriculum. And a lot of these colleges were founded as seminaries. And a seminary wasn't just an institution for religious instruction. A seminary was a school that was established across the prairie to provide education to the rural communities that weren't getting it otherwise because public education wasn't in play yet, at least not in great measure. So the purpose of the academy, the purpose of the schools, the purpose of education was to confirm the traditional Protestant cosmology, the existence of God and his relationship with the world and with mankind. Now, you might recognize that I'm pulling some of this stuff out of a book right now, and it's my book. It's the book, Not a Daycare, The Devastating Consequences of Abandoning Truth. We're facing those consequences right now on a daily basis. The devastation of abandoning truth is prevalent in the daily news. We've abandoned our birthright, our educational inheritance. We've abandoned the premise, the priority, the purpose of American education. And we can see this. We can see this when we go back to the original mottos of many of our nation's most seminal institutions. Again, these institutions weren't just established to educate 18 to 21-year-olds. No, they were educating a younger population at the time. Harvard and Dartmouth and Princeton and Yale. These are our seminal institutions, but don't just pretend that this was quote-unquote higher education. This was education. This was America's educational model. So let's go back to Harvard's mission statement. I won't go through the Latin of these mission statements. I'm just going to, for the sake of time, recite the English translation of these Latin mottos, these mission statements. Harvard's was for Christ and the church. Princeton's was I restore life to the dead. Yale's express goal was to know God in Jesus Christ and to lead a godly, sober life. Close quote. 
And these first three American universities, colleges, schools, they were founded and funded by ministers like John Harvard. His expressed mission was to let every student be plainly instructed and earnestly pressed to consider well the main end of his life and studies is to know God and Jesus Christ, which is eternal life, and therefore to lay Christ in the bottom as the only foundation of all sound knowledge and learning. Close quote. That's Harvard's mission statement. That's why it was founded. Now, Yale comes along, and it was established by the church, too. It was led by the Reverend James Pierpont. And Yale declared that its purpose was, quote, to plant under ye divine blessing to propagate in this wilderness the blessed reformed Protestant religion in ye purity of its order and worship. Interesting, isn't it? To plant under the divine blessing of God and to propagate in this wilderness of, the, of America, of the United States, this blessed Reformed Protestant religion in its purity and its order and its worship. Yale students were required, and I quote, to live religious, godly, and blameless lives according to the rules of God's word, diligently reading the holy scriptures, the fountain of light and truth, and constantly attend upon all the duties of religion, both in public and secret. Close quote. Prayer was a requirement at Princeton. Princeton's early presidents included some of America's foremost religious leaders, including people like Jonathan Edwards, heard of him? Or John Witherspoon, a signer of the Declaration of Independence. And Princeton's purpose could not have been more clear. Quote, cursed is all learning that is contrary to the cross of Christ. Close quote. Now you might say, well, that's just those first three. Harvard, Yale, and Princeton. Well, no. Seven of the eight Ivy League institutions were founded in the same manner to train up a future generation in a biblical ethic and to educate a moral citizenry and to lay the foundation for a free people and a free nation. Like I said, Dartmouth was founded to Christianize, that's their quote, the Native American tribes. And its motto, even to this day, is the voice of one crying in the wilderness, a biblical reference. George Whitfield originally conceived the University of Pennsylvania. And three-fourths of its original trustees were affiliated with the Church of England. And its motto was, laws without morals are useless. Now, isn't that fascinating? Laws without morals are useless. Oh, I could go on and on. How about this? Brown University was founded by Baptists, and its motto was, In God We Hope. Columbia University was inspired by Colonel Lewis Morris, and he wrote a letter to the Society for the Propagation of the Gospel in Foreign Parts. The missionary arm of the Church of England 
arguing that New York City was an ideal community to have a college established for such purposes. And the university's motto was taken directly from Psalm 36.9. In thy light shall we see light. Close quote. I could go on and on. The list doesn't end there. We can literally go coast to coast. Amherst College, their motto, let them enlighten the lands. Wellesley College, not to be served but to serve, not to be ministered unto but to minister. Northwestern University, whatsoever things are true. Kenyon College, valiantly bear the cross. Ohio University, religion, learning, civility, above all virtue. Indiana University, light and truth. Emory University, the wise heart seeks knowledge. Valparaiso, in thy light we see light. The University of Southern California, let whoever earns the palm bear it. The University of California, fiat lux, let there be light. All of this is a reference to the Bible. All of this affirms the history of Christianity and the biblical ethic. And the point of education, the point of education in America, the reason for having schools in America in the first place was to raise up a virtuous people and to propagate knowledge and the practice of morality. You know, a friend of mine, I know, I, I don't think she'd mind, it's Kelly Monroe Kohlberg, author of Finding God at Harvard, she once asked the leaders of Northwestern University to explain the origin of the words that still appear on their shield to this day. Whatsoever is true, whatsoever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is good. And the leaders of that university had no idea. They didn't know where it came from. They couldn't tell her why those words were still on their shield. They had no idea that the university's motto, quoted on that shield, was the Bible's admonition Paul's admonition to the church in Philippi to think on such things. These institutions, these schools that I've just rattled off, are just a few of hundreds of schools across the land that explicitly cite a Judeo-Christian ethic and even specific biblical passages as their guiding ethos and the very reason that they exist and were founded in the first place. America's educational inheritance. Let's go back to the prodigal son who gave up his inheritance and squandered it and went out and wallowed with the pigs and ate slop and finally realized that he had forfeited his rich inheritance and he had the smarts, he still had the soul, he still had the conscience that resulted in him admitting he was wrong and he therefore repented, returned, recanted, revived, revival, restored. He was reborn, and he returned home. He returned home to his father, and his father was there waiting to embrace him. We might want to consider that parable as we think about education today, how we've squandered our inheritance, a rich inheritance. We've just spent it all. The assumption that the highest goal of education should be to teach and model personal integrity. 
within the context of God's objective truth. That we are endowed by our Creator with with certain self-evident truths. That's a specific reference to the objective reality, the objective truths. It's a refutation of the subjective identity claims of alphabet soup politics today. The reason for education, the reason for your schools, the reason for your elementary schools, your junior highs, your high schools, and your colleges is to teach and model personal integrity within the context of self-evident objective truths, truths such as the respect for law and the desire for virtue and a heart for sacrifice and the value of sobriety and fidelity and religion and morality and wisdom, wisdom, wisdom that comes from God that isn't contrived by man, made up by you or me. We've left our home. We've departed from our founding principles. And the millions of dollars of wealthy benefactors have been squandered as the federal government has taken over education and destroyed it. As public education has become little but propaganda of the powerful. The infusion of money has resulted in the loss of morality. We now have a different focus and a different intent. The German model came along and emphasized self-directed, specialized scholarship, where total intellectual freedom would be unmoored from doctrinal distinctions and directives. Now, I'm all in favor of academic freedom. You've heard me talk about it over and over again, but again, intellectual liberty, academic freedom presupposes self-control. There is no liberty without law, and there is no freedom without offense. And our educational establishment understood that until we shifted from the British model to the Germanic model. And we started focusing on self-directed study and scholarship unmoored from doctrinal or dogmatic directives. We inherited the British model and the liberal arts model, which was based on the classics and focused on personal morality and philosophical consistency and theological depth and civic duty and individual integrity. That's what we inherited but we threw it all away. We threw it all away because we decided that we would eat of the tree, the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and we would become as God. This is part of our history. This is the history of American education. Does it surprise you? Did you know this? Well, now that you do, you might want to consider how foolish we've been in throwing it all away and the need to go home, repent, and reclaim our birthright. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion.